Good morning, Genesis. Uh, if you've got your Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to John chapter 15. Uh, if you've got your own Bibles, there's also some around the room on the floor. If you uh, want to take one of those, you can turn to page uh, 752, and uh, we'll also have some words on the screen for you today so that you can follow along. You know, every month, uh, our staff from both of our campuses get together for an all-staff meeting. And once a quarter, uh, we try and just do something fun together, just to get out and enjoy maybe being outdoors and experience together. Or uh, And this past week, we decided to go do something we'd never done before, and we went out uh, to an archery range. Uh, to learn to shoot uh, arrows, all right? I mean, that's what you do at an archery range. Now, we do have one bow hunter on our staff uh, in Ben Krause. He was up here uh, just a moment ago, and so uh, he was a bit of an advantage over the rest of us. Uh, and so while the rest of us were learning how to use our uh, tiny little 30-pound kids' bows, well, Ben had all of his own equipment, and he was shooting crossbow targets at like a half mile away or something like that. But uh, we had a lot of fun together. We had a really good time. Uh, shooting together, but what struck me about this whole experience was this, that the guy at the range who kind of helped us and got us set up for the day, uh, he started out by picking out the bows for us, and then one by one he talked us through how the the bow actually worked and how to draw the bow string, how to aim, how to shoot, and and, and then he sent us out to the range. Uh, But before he ever let us take a shot, he said, hey, one last thing. Here's something really important that you need to know, and that is that none of you wants to get hit by an arrow. Now, I already knew that. Uh, you know, I haven't done much shooting before, but was just pretty confident that that's not something I want to experience in my life, you know, to ever get shot by an arrow or anything. But because, uh, uh, and none of us wants that, right? I think we're all kind of just inherently born with, uh, with, with that kind of belief. But here's what he said I want you to stay on the concrete until everyone is shot, all right, all their arrows, and then you're going to hang your bow up on the hook uh, next to your stand. And then when it's all done, everyone together is going to say, range clear, all right, as a way of signifying that you can walk out and retrieve your arrows safely. Now, I think we'd all admit whether you've ever shot a bow and arrow before that, that's a pretty good instruction, right? I mean, it's a uh, pretty important detail uh, that we all want to pay attention to, and, uh, but isn't it true, isn't it true that we often save the most important instructions for the last. Well, as we discovered last week, as Kevin kicked off this series, uh, Jesus' final message to his disciples right before he was arrested and tried and sent to the cross was this. It comes right out of John 15. Jesus said, hey, I want you to abide in me. All right, he, he turned to his disciples, he turned to these men that he had spent the last three and a half years left, and, and Jesus knew what was coming, he knew what they were up against, he knew some of the challenges that they were going to face, and he said, hey, here's what's most important, every day for the rest of your lives, abide in me, uh, remain in me, stay connected to me in everything that you do. See, abiding in him was the one thing that Jesus wanted his disciples to do, and the same is true for us. Uh, The same is true for you and me if you call yourself a Christ follower today, that just as Jesus described for his disciples, uh, Jesus is our true vine as well. All right, he is our source of life. As followers of Jesus, as men, as women, as students, as children who desire to follow the Lord, who have put our trust in him, he is our source of life. And so as a branch amongst the vine, you know, we must stay connected to the vine. All right, if you can picture this, if you can imagine this in your mind, we must stay connected to the vine in order to live, uh, in order to bear fruit. Like we, again, we must stay, we must stay connected. We must abide in Jesus or 
uh, as we say, stay relationally connected to Jesus and everything. And Jesus promised, again, that if we abide in him, that he will bear fruit in our lives, that he will be in us, that he will strengthen us, he will move in us. And so our challenge last week and really for this whole series is to make abiding in Jesus our number one prayer and pursuit in life. That would be my desire for you. Uh, uh, my desire for our family, uh, uh, for each of us, that we would make abiding in Jesus our number one prayer and pursuit in life. And last week, Kevin addressed the why for us. Uh, Over the next few weeks, we want to cover the how. Uh, Kevin's going to come back next week and preach week three. I'll be back again to preach week four. But again, we want to just continue to ask this question, how do we abide in Christ? What does this look like practically each and every day? And so John chapter 15, if you've got your Bibles, uh, starting in verse nine, John was one of Jesus' disciples. He spent three to four years following Jesus around almost every single day. And so the book of John is John's account of Jesus' life and teachings. And I want to look at these words with you in the English Standard Version, which is a little bit different than what we usually uh, use. You've got Bibles uh, right now for the NIV, all right, the New International Version, unless you brought your own. But we can follow along in the screen, and you can kind of do that back and forth with the Bible that you're looking at. But John chapter 15, starting in verse 9, here's what John records, Jesus' words. Two his disciples, again, before he goes to the cross, he says to them this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray together for just a moment. Father in heaven, we just invite your presence into this place here this morning and ask that you would do your great and amazing work in us, the work that only you can do, God. I pray that uh, my words would be your words. I pray that as we look at uh, uh, your word from the Bible today, that it would just come alive in our hearts and that we would be moved by it and we would, Father, desire to put our faith in you Teach us what obedience looks like today. Uh, Work in us in a powerful and amazing way in our church as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, with these words here in John 15, Jesus says a lot, really, in a few short verses. And so what I want to do is I'm going to take some time and just kind of peel back one layer at a time and really see if we can't capture the essence of what Jesus is trying to communicate uh, to us today. Go back to verse 9 for just a moment. Look again what Jesus says. He says, as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. And so Jesus looks to his disciples. It was his way of basically saying, hey, I know that we've spent the last three and a half years together. And I know that you can't really imagine what's going to happen next to me. But hey, I've loved you. Okay, I I just want you to remember in everything, no matter what happens, that I have loved you. And now you must abide in that love. And so how do we abide in Jesus this morning? Well, if you're taking notes, point number one in your notes is just simply this. We abide in Jesus by abiding in Jesus' love for us. Right? We abide in Jesus by abiding in Jesus' love for us. Again, Jesus says, what he's literally saying to them is, hey, I want my love to sustain you. Uh, I want my love to be the fuel in your life. I want my love to be the caffeine uh, that you've always desired. You know, I, I want my love to sustain you and to strengthen you and support you for all of, of your life. Let my love be what drives you to do what you must do each and every day. Now, most of us know the impact 
that a real love like that can have on your life. Like maybe you've had a, a parent or a grandparent demonstrate love to you at some point in your life in a really powerful way consistently. Well, you know the impact that love like that can have. Or, or maybe you're a parent right now or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or something. And so you hope uh, to love the children in your life or maybe grandchildren in your life uh, the way that you were loved or maybe the way that you weren't loved, all right? So that it will make a difference, a powerful difference in each of them. Like, like I want my kids to know that I love them and and we've made this practice uh, uh, with our three kids, my two boys and now my daughter to take these 10-year-old adventures, uh, just dad and, and child when they turn 10. And so my daughter, Kate and I, uh, just celebrated her 10-year-old adventure a few weeks back and we went to Turkey Run Campground and we did some uh, zip lining. We also did some canoeing uh, together, as you can see here in this picture. If you've ever uh, uh, canoed there at Turkey Run before, you know that can be a, a really fun experience. Well, this was a three and a half hour canoe trip and as you can see in this next picture, it rained for about two of those hours, which was unfortunate. So we got a little wet, but we still, uh, again, had a lot of fun together. We also did a lot of hiking, and uh, my 10-year-old daughter, Kay, was just demonstrating some of her strength here and, and her skills uh, on our hike. But we also met a family at the campground where we were staying, and check this out. Uh, at first, we thought it was a little dog, but they actually brought their pet goat uh, to the campground. Only in Indiana, right? It was something ever like that happened, but uh, so we had a little fun with that, and then of course, on our final Saturday morning, we were awoken, or awakened to a, a thunderstorm at 6 in the morning, so we got to escape to the uh, vehicle, and so our, our breakfast was kind of ruined for the morning, but nothing a little donuts uh, couldn't solve, right, uh, at the nearby town. Donuts uh, say a lot. Donuts can do a lot, but I, I want my kids to know that I love them, and, and part of that is, is spending time with them. Part of that is affirming that love, enjoying them, donuts, whatever it takes, but you know what? It's nothing compared to the love that Jesus has for my kids kids. Um, my, my, my love is nothing compared to the love that Jesus has for, for me and for you. Like he loves you deeply. He loved his disciples deeply, and his is a perfect love. Uh, it's a consistent love, and, and he spent three and a half years loving his disciples, and he wants his love, this love that he demonstrated, this love that he has for them, to continue to sustain his disciples and influence them, and you know what? He wants the same for you and me too, that we would experience his love each and every day of our lives, and some days you've got to come back to that love even when you don't feel like it, and you need to experience his love, and you need to count on his love because there's nothing else like it. Now let's peel off another layer here because Jesus tells his disciples to abide in his love and next he goes on to tell them one of the ways that they can abide in his love. Look at verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now the New Living Translation, if you were to read these same words, translated as when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Now Jesus is not saying all right, that his love is a reward for keeping his commandments. But instead, Jesus is saying, hey, if we stay connected to his love, all right, if we keep this in front of us, if we keep this real, that by keeping his commands, we're going to experience this love in even greater ways. See, Jesus' commands are kind of like wires, 
uh, that connect us to this good news of Christ's love. And the wires, again, like, like the commands of Jesus don't have power in and of themselves, but they do connect us to the source of this power. And so in order to stay connected to Jesus' love, in order to be continually influenced and sustained by the love of Jesus, well, we must keep or we must obey these commandments of our Savior. Now, I realize that if you let it, that can be a little overwhelming. All right, the thought of trying to keep every commandment because Jesus gave over, I don't know if you realize this or not, but he gave over 200 commands all throughout his ministry. And so does that mean that we've got we've to figure out how to perfectly keep 200 of, of his commands in order to earn his love? Like who can do that? But notice this, because two sentences later, Jesus helps us out a bit. He kind of throws us a bone, if you would. He's going to summarize all 200 commands, really, in one command. And so we, I'd say this is kind of like the umbrella command that captures them all. And if you will, all of the other commands, again, fall under this one command. Look at verse 12 with me. Skip over to verse 12. Here's what Jesus says. Hey, this is my commandment. Again, if I'm going to just summarize it or wrap it all together in one for you, here, here's Here's my commandment. You love one another as I have loved you. You see, in order to be continually influenced by Jesus' love, sustained by his love, experience his love, we must what? What does Jesus say? He says you need to make it a daily practice, a regular practice to love one another, to love the people in your life. And we can see this directly from the passage. Like, like let me show you what I mean. Because first Jesus says in verse 9 that in order to abide in him, we must abide in his love, all right? And then he told us in verse 10 that we may abide in his love, that we abide in his love by keeping his commands. But Jesus gave over 200 commands, and so in verse 12, he's summarizing all 200 of these commands into one command. And, And so you put this all together. Again, he says we abide in his love by keeping his commands, and a summary of all of his commands are to love one another. But then there's a very specific instruction in verse 12 because he doesn't just tell his disciples to love one another and then let them define what they think that love looks like or what it ought to look like. Now look what he says in verse 12. He says again, this is my commandment that you love one another as what? As I have loved you. Jesus says, as I have loved you. The New Testament, New Living Translation says, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. You see, Jesus models for us. Jesus is about to model for his disciples the profile of real love. And he wants his disciples, both the ones present in this moment, but also for all of us who have come later to love each other in the same way that he has loved us. Which begs the question, how did Jesus love his disciples? Well, now, there's a number of different ways that you can answer that question. And if you've read much of the New Testament at all, if you've studied Jesus' life and his ministry, you can probably think of at least several examples where Jesus demonstrated love to his disciples. But I think the greatest demonstration, and really what Jesus is getting after here when it comes to his love for them and for us, was for what was about to happen. And that's the cross. And Jesus knew the cross was coming. And it was on the cross where Jesus humbly served us, dying a death that we deserve, one where he died in our place. He died in my place and in your place. It really is, when you think about it, the best way to summarize his great love for us. In fact, he alludes to it in the very next verse. Again, verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says in the very next sentence, 
Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. See, what was the greatest single act of his love? It's the cross. Like, you you can't get over the fact that it's the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross that Jesus died on is the greatest expression, the greatest demonstration in all of history of God's love for us. Look at what Paul writes in in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, but God demonstrates. Here's how God demonstrates. You want to know how God demonstrates his love for you and me? You look at the cross. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ, his son, our Savior, died for us. See, love isn't just an emotion. Love isn't just some sentimental feeling. Love, Love isn't good intentions. Love is a way of relating to someone. Love requires action and sacrifice and giving and nothing, nothing in all of history compares to what God did to demonstrate his love for us in Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross. This same John in 1 John 3 verse 16, a little bit farther into your New Testament, writes this, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then notice what he says next, because this is so important. And he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Again, how did he demonstrate his love for us? Jesus laid down his life for us. And if we could just stop there for a second, I'd love to just note that this is the foundation of our faith. I mean, the very foundation of our faith is that Christ died for us. That Christ's body was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven and we have life in him today. You know, you might, might be here today, maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe this is your first time and you've got tons of questions. You've got tons of questions about how this works and how creation works and what the Bible means by this and that. And those are important questions and those are questions that you ought to work through in their proper time. But if I could just say one thing, if I could just stress one thing with you today, start with the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus and his resurrection is the foundation of our faith. And it's what motivated the disciples even after Jesus ascended into heaven. Like they didn't go out into all of the world and try and teach the world about the importance of a literal six-day creation, all right? That wasn't their primary message, all right? They They didn't take a group of people to go investigate an archaeological site where Noah may have parked his boat, you know, after the great flood. Again, those are important details and items, all right? But the foundation of our faith, here's what's most important. The foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ's death on the cross and the fact that the tomb is empty and that he's alive. And that's what motivated the disciples. And that's what was their primary message. And they launched a movement around the world that is still continuing and increasing today because of it. And many of the disciples would give their life for it. And so John says, you know, what? we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters as Christ laid down his life. And what does it look like for us to lay down our lives? Well, we can lay down our lives for others in any number of ways, but if we're gonna love like Jesus loved us, then we need to think about the primary thing that the cross of Jesus Christ represents for us. And the message of the cross is this. We turned away from God. We walked away from God in our sin and in our frustration and in our hurt. And we walked away. And you know what? We can't save ourselves and we can't earn back what we've done or how we've sinned against him. But the only way, the only way for us to be in a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ and for God to forgive us through the death and the power of Jesus Christ. And isn't that what the cross represents? 
I mean, the cross represents forgiveness. The cross represents you can come back. The cross represents this fact that we can start over. Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, you know, in him, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. He was on the cross when Jesus Christ shed his blood for us for the forgiveness of sins. It was on the cross. That's where it happened. That's where it took place. That's where you experienced your forgiveness. And I experienced my own. And so the forgiveness, all right, the forgiveness that we see in Jesus, the forgiveness the cross represents is the most tangible way we can love others as Christ loved us and that's point number two in your notes today and that is that we abide in Jesus by forgiving others as Jesus forgave us listen I want to try this and say this as clearly as I can and I know this might sting for some of you but I'm going to say it anyways you cannot abide in Christ and not forgive others It is impossible for you and me to abide in Christ and not be willing to forgive someone else. See, when we harbor unforgiveness in our life, what we're doing is we're relationally disconnecting ourselves from the vine, from our source of life. And I think that's the point Paul was trying to make when he wrote in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He says, forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul says, forgiving others. Here's what Paul says. Forgiving others is walking in the way of love the way that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us just kind of flip it over and look at it from another standpoint for just a moment think about the power of forgiveness for just a second like have you ever been forgiven by someone and I don't know what it was for you but have you ever been forgiven by someone and do you remember the feeling of having that weight lifted off of your shoulders and you experience the power of love and A fresh start in that very moment. You know, I think about how critical forgiveness is in marriage. Forgiveness is so critical in marriage. I've experienced it in my own. I get the chance to talk to married couples that really struggle in this area of forgiveness. It can weigh you down. It can hold you back. It can keep you from moving ahead. I just think about any talking with young adults, college students, you know, and, and you listen to their story and you hear about the different hurts from their life. And, and maybe those hurts involve, you know, an unwillingness to forgive a parent or something. If you've experienced something like that before, if you've experienced that release, you know that something like that just holds you back. It keeps you from moving ahead. If you're a Christian... All right, you could probably rejoice in the fact that God has forgiven you through Christ, but, but with the same mouth so often that we rejoice in God's forgiveness. Think about how we still want to hold a debt in front of someone else, maybe something that we say they owe us. See, when we fail to forgive others with the same forgiveness that we've experienced ourselves, we're not abiding in Christ. There's a disconnect But if if we're abiding in Christ, then we have received 
and we're receiving the forgiveness of our sins, our own sins, and we're allowing the forgiveness of Christ to run through us and to run through us from Jesus and into us and, and, and extend from us into others' lives, into our relationships. And this is what it means. This is what it means that Jesus is the vine and that we are the branch. And much like the water or the sap flows from the vine into the branches and, 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 and creates fruit... Well, that same forgiveness that we've experienced, Jesus wants us to continually and regularly extend that forgiveness to others. And how do we know this is important to Jesus? Well, because he addressed this very, this very claim or this, this very reality of our unwillingness to forgive in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, I'll just tell you quickly, there's this parable and there's this man who owes a tremendous debt to his master, equivalent to a, a year's salary. And there's no way this servant could ever possibly pay it back. And so when the debt came due, he went to his master and begged for, for more time. And the master didn't give him more time but forgave the debt instead. It was an incredible story, but here's what the man did. This forgiven man went walking out of the room and immediately went looking to someone who also owed him a debt. And when that man couldn't pay it back, he had this man thrown into prison. And here's how Jesus finishes the story in Matthew 18, verse 32. He said, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you your debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? But in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so he says to him, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, it's interesting that Jesus used a debtor in this case to talk about what it means to forgive. Because in case you didn't realize this, the biblical idea of forgiveness means to cancel a debt. Forgiveness means I'm going to cancel the debt. You don't owe me anymore. And this story, if you think about it, it reminds us that when we fail to forgive, we, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in the place of God. We basically say, you know what, I know God forgives that person, but I don't think they deserve it. I don't think they deserve it. I think you know what I'm getting at. I wonder if for some of you today, if there's someone in your life that you have failed to forgive. In fact, if you're not already, I'd like to just ask you to begin thinking about that person in your life who has hurt you. And maybe for some of you, again, this is real easy because you think about it every single day. And there aren't many hours that go by where you're not thinking about it. For others of you, it might take some time. But today when you walked in, you received a card it just simply titled invoice at the top, and you don't owe us anything financially. That's not what we're getting at here, so uh, be relieved. But uh, if you'll just take this out for a moment and maybe hold it in your hand if you still have it. Here's what I want you to see. At the top, there's a blank where you can write the name of the person who has hurt you. And if you'd like to do this now, you're, you're welcome to do this if, you, if it's something that you'd like to think about later Certainly, but maybe there's a person in your life that has hurt you that you would put their name in the top. And, and when we need to offer forgiveness, it's always for one of two reasons. Either we wanted a good thing and didn't receive it, or we didn't want a bad thing that we got, right? And there's always a gap. There's always a gap between what we expected from someone and what we actually received. And so on that next line is really the opportunity to write that, to note that. You know, what I wanted them from them was blank, but instead I received this. And here's one reason that forgiveness for us can be so hard. It's because we've had to live with the consequences of how someone has wronged us. 
We've had, every single one of us, we've had to live with the consequences of someone else's actions. And I don't want to downplay this in any way because those consequences might be very difficult. They might have been very damaging and very, very real for you. But in order to truly forgive, what we need to do is tell ourselves the truth about those consequences. And when you're ready, you can do that on your card. But finally, there's a debt that's owed. And you'll notice again that this isn't really just a card, it's an invoice. And this is a chance for you to write down for your benefit what that person rightly owes you. And to maybe write that in the last blanks. And so maybe if this were me, and, and I'm just making this up, uh, but here's, you know, the person who hurt me would be my dad. And what I wanted from them was uh, words of affirmation, but maybe what I received from them or from him was some very cutting, some very condescending, some very hurtful words Uh, Because of their actions, I I saw these consequences. I've lived a life with a very low self-esteem. I've not been able to see the good things in my life. Or maybe I've resented my dad. And so if this were your story, then maybe what would write is, my dad rightfully owes me an apology, you know. Uh, Your story may be different. Again, maybe it's more than just one instance. Maybe it's a series but here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold this card in your hand. If you want to fill it out, you can. And, but I want you to hold it. I want you to just kind of feel the weight of it. And maybe for your own life. Of someone who owes you. And then I want to share with you a story. And this is just a few minutes long. It's powerful. Check this out. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly. Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. 
It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing yes, her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, yes, CBS News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. A pretty powerful story. And I love what she said, you know, forgiveness is for me. You got your card? You know, here's the thing about unforgiveness, you know, that the one who refuses to forgive, you know, when you think about it, that's the person who really ends up in prison. And the person that, well, you've not forgiven, well, it's almost like they're living rent-free next to you or maybe kind of within your own head and your own heart and your own mind each and every day. And maybe you're afraid to go certain places because you might see them. Maybe there's a place you won't return to because there might they might be there. But here's the thing, and here's what Jesus is getting at for each of us, no matter the circumstances that you need for your sake to forgive them. That he's called us, he's asked us to be willing to cancel the debt. Now I know I get it even as I think about some of the things in my life, like how can I? Or maybe you'd say, you know what, she doesn't deserve it, or he hurt me deeply, or you know what? They're not even sorry for what they've done. But the command is still the same to forgive, and how in the world do you do something like that? How do you forgive when it hurts so deeply? Well, strength like that only comes from abiding in Jesus. It only comes from trusting in him. And when we reflect on the cross, and when we think about, again, what he has done for us in our lives, the love he displayed for us, that he paid for my sin and for your sin and for sin, all of this world, that like he's commanded us to forgive as he has forgiven us. And again, how could I ever? That strength comes from abiding in Jesus. Strength like that comes from the vine. Here's what we're going to do to close. Justin's going to sing for us and sing with us. You're invited to sing along. But in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to get up from your seats if you'd like. We've got two tables up at the front, two round tables. And there's just simply a stamp on there that maybe for some of you, you need to come forward with your card today, whether you filled it out yet or not and just stamp the word paid on there. And that doesn't have to mean that you're done or that you're ready. Because maybe you need to take this card with you and you need to spend some time reflecting and praying through it. Maybe there's some help that you need from someone else. But that stamp of paid is just a reminder of that's what I'm working towards. That's where I'm headed because I know that's what Christ has done for me and that's what I want in my life too. Maybe for some of you today, you're ready to do that work and forgive somebody in your life for what they've 
again, what they've done to you. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's something you've already done, you know, and Christ has freed you from that, but Satan, he loves to throw you back at you at times, and so maybe by stamping it paid, it's just a reminder of, no, that work has already been accomplished. And again, you may not be ready to forgive, and so I don't want this to be a forced moment for you in any way, so don't feel like you have to do that. And I also want to say this too, that forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. All right, and we often forget to distinguish between the two. Forgiveness is required of us as followers of Christ to cancel the debt of someone else, something that they owe us. Reconciliation is something to be hoped for, prayed for, strive for, but that doesn't always happen. And in some cases, it may not even be appropriate to reconcile. But we are called by Christ to forgive, to forgive others. And if there's something that's been hanging over your head, maybe you need to take a step this morning as we sing together and again just come forward to one of these tables and stamp your card and then you can return to your seat let's stand together if you would let's pray father in heaven we thank you for your words this morning we know they're not easy words but these are words where we must trust you and you want freedom for each of us and you know the weight that a debt that has been put on our life how it can hold us back from truly living the life that you want for us father Father, will you free hearts and lives today? Will you just cause some people to say today that I am ready to let go of this? This isn't going to hold me back any longer. Give us the power and the strength to forgive, to reflect Christ in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.